begin. The Internet, a doorway to the world's most fascinating and terrifying communities. To explore it is to interrogate that which makes us human. Only some are brave enough to venture into these other worlds. Only some are brave enough to be called. The Internet Explorers. Hey everybody, welcome back to Anderson Brothers, The Internet Explorers. I am Evan Axel Anderson, and right across the table is David Ryan Anderson. It is. It's true. Go ask Go ask anybody. It's David. Nine out of ten dentists agree. It's David Ryan Anderson. <laughs> but no time for chit-chat. We have a lot to cover today because today is a very special episode. We are going to be traveling back in time. You mean into history, David? Sure, like 10 years. Ah. We're going back to the cool older brother of the modern conspiracy theory. Today we're talking about the 9-11 truth movement. This, of course, is the theory that 9-11 was an inside job, Bush brought down the towers, you know, you've seen the bumper stickers. My guess is that people are generally pretty aware of the conspiracy theory. There's a good chance that you're thinking to yourself right now that it's not really a conspiracy theory that much. It's probably at least 30% true. Like, part of it, it's pretty convincing, right? And that's why I want to talk about this, because I, I'm not breaking new ground by saying this, but 9-11 broke something in us as a culture that just opened the floodgates for many things to happen, but also for the conspiracy theory as a, a medium to go mainstream. So that's the context that I would like to use for this episode, because the 9-11 Truth Movement laid the foundation for our horrible, modern, fake news media landscape that we get to wade through every day a decade later. It's This is happening. Because it's such a powerful, cultish tool for shutting down outside thinking or unpleasant types of thinking. I, I Honestly, conspiracy theories and sort of the culture of skepticism that they produce, it's not even real skepticism. It's just sort of like a radicalization of a skeptical mindset to the point where instead of just investigating things, you're, you just don't even believe anything. It's easy. You can create an identity based entirely around the destruction of something else. Yeah. Like instead of having an identity based on your own system of beliefs and ideals that you would like to prop up, you can build a, an identity based on destroying or like having absolutely no faith in whatever it is, the government or the, the media, even what's called like movement atheism, guys like Richard Dawkins, Hitchens, um, stuff like that, Right. who their version of what atheism was, was essentially... It became like a eugenics thing, honestly, at one point. The religious should not be allowed to procreate. A lot of their attacks on Islam, for example, were like extremely just racist eventually. Like it became a racial thing. Who's the guy who's still pretty popular? He's a young guy. Sam Harris. Sam Harris, yeah. It's Sam Harris. Yeah, he's in on that whole group too. So this conspiracy theory stuff has been developing alongside just an erosion in the faith that we have in our institutions. Institutions that need to be scrutinized and criticized, but we have to do that skillfully. The, the fire hose of skepticism that, that you were talking about, occasionally it will get it right, even if it identifies people who we should be criticizing. It will not give us an accurate picture of what's actually going on or why. Yeah. And also, there's just gonna, it, it just provides so much collateral damage along the way. 
I mean, most people don't like research stuff that they read on the internet. Yeah. And people who do, I mean, I don't know if they'll actually go out of their way to really investigate it very well. I mean, your conversation, David had like a 300 comment long thread the other day. And it was shocking how little like research these people had actually done about what they were even discussing. I've got a certain history with the 9-11 conspiracy theory group. I, I, I split off of them many years ago. I used to be one of them, but now I'm, I'm fighting the revolution against them. Once I called them brother, but now, now I hunt them down one by one and humiliate them on the internet. I also kind of humiliate myself because uh, arguing with people online is like there is nowhere in that scenario. Everybody just looks like a doofus. In internet flame wars, there is no winner. Soon Tzu said that. Soon Tzu. Yeah, people people generally won't investigate things beyond that, especially if it if it's biased towards what they already believe, exactly. or what they or something that they want to believe. So and that's the- and that's all any of this is. It's just you're feeding into what people want to hear. At least all these conspiracy theorists want to hear. There was that book that came out, Fury and Fire. Was that it? Fire and Fury. The the book about like Trump and all that. He just followed around um, you know, various people. Trump himself for a while. He talked to him, the Trump administration. As a joke, this comedian on Twitter released a fake excerpt from the book <laughs> the that says that Donald Trump showed up at the White House the first day and he was trying to, he was flipping through the channels and he was trying to find the Gorilla Network, the, the Gorilla Channel. Everybody loves the Gorilla Network. A channel that Donald Trump erroneously believed showed nothing but Gorilla documentaries 24 7. He couldn't find the, the channel and he was so angry. He demanded he get it. And. <laughs> The Secret Service or whoever had to, like, put together a shortwave TV state, like, studio to broadcast into the White House where they would just on loop play guerrilla documentaries. But Donald Trump was angry because the guerrillas would not fight each other. The real guerrilla channel constantly <laughs> just shows the highlights of guerrillas fighting each other. So they cut it down to nothing but guerrillas fighting. And at the end of this excerpt, it said that Donald Trump would spend 15 hours a day <laughs> on, the, on the floor kneeling in front of the television whispering to the gorillas like that's good good job good boy <laughs> anyway this obviously this never happened this was all a joke but this thing went viral like like instantly it was picked up by news by 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 journalists and stuff that there's no journalism going on there whatsoever he said somebody said it let's post it, you know? it but it was picked up by like reporters just on their own personal accounts and it, it spread it became the gorilla channel became the like the number two or something like trending thing in America on Twitter. We demand a gorilla channel, like an actual gorilla channel. And and this is this is an instance where there was a massive confirmation bias on behalf of people who are just like, yeah, I already believe that Donald Trump is enough of a moron that he would demand such a thing. And it's, I mean, it's an absolutely ridiculous story. It's so absurd and hilarious. But this is this happens routinely where stories yeah. and things will get picked up. There's no tangible like like damage being done by them, at least that we can sense. Mm. But th- this happens everywhere, especially online, where it's really easy to say, "Well, if this many people believe this, then why? Like, what what need is there for me to verify it?" It corrodes our ability to fact check ourselves. Though I think eventually, when it comes out that these things are fake, I think it ultimately has the effect of corroding our credulity. Even though, so we're willing to not believe anything that we're told, but we. I guess we're just too lazy to actually investigate ourselves, so we just get to the point where we're just saying, nothing's right, nothing's real. I mean, like the president of the United States is currently one of the most prolific spreaders of conspiracy theories at this point, just to show you how prevalent this stuff has become. He popularized the birther movement. Yeah, among other things. 
th this opening is running a little long, so how about we're, we're just going to jump right into how the 9-11 Truth Movement developed and built the playbook that everyone's been using ever since. So in 2005, on Google Video, just something that doesn't exist anymore, a documentary called Loose Change came out. It was written and directed by a guy named Dylan Avery, a high school uh, graduate. Yeah, you were gonna you were gonna say a man. He was like eighteen or nineteen or something. He when... was a young dude. Yeah, I mean, by legal standards, David, he was a man. He, oh, let me tell you, <laughs> what a man! And essentially, what Loose Change proposed was that nine eleven was an inside job. Inside where? Inside. The American government, David. Bush brought down the towers. Exactly. Bush did 9-11. That, essentially, that's, that's the idea, is that it questions the official narrative of what happened that day. And he, he studies the architectural damage that's yeah. done. He studies government documents that he thinks implicate the government. Anything and everything that he can find winds up in this documentary to provide a full-throated rebuttal of the story that we heard, which is that Osama bin Laden orchestrated this attack. He'll go into a lot of things. The video of Osama bin Laden taking credit for 9-11. Uh, he believes it was faked. There were actors. That Osama bin Laden wasn't even in the video. Uh, he believes that the plane that hit the Pentagon was actually shot down and that it was a missile that hit the building. Uh, a lot of different alternative theories as to what had occurred that day. For anybody who wasn't alive at the time or just wasn't aware of this phenomenon, this was massive. Loose Change was called, when it came out, the first internet blockbuster. Dylan Avery estimates that the video has about 100 million views uh, on all different types of platforms. And even he's a little uh, unsure of it. Yeah, and you take it into account many times, it's probably been shared and stuff like that also. True. There have been like public like viewings of it at like theaters and things like that, so that's a lot of eyeballs. I, in particular, the first time I saw it was in 2005. A friend of mine shared it on AOL Instant Messenger. Wow. I was just like, this is, ins like it blew my mind. Like I'm sure I had the exact same experience that like, Basically, everybody else did when they watched it the first time, Yeah, which was just like, this covers everything. Everything you can think of is addressed in here. Listen, jet fuel don't melt steel beams, David. Yeah, that's the most popular example is the jet fuel can't melt steel beams. That came from Loose Change. That comes from, that. that is almost a direct quote from Loose Change. Let's let's throw out a few examples, like real specific examples of the kind of cases that this this documentary makes. Because... I mean, it was popular for a reason. Like, it does a good job with this. It's it's very detail-oriented. Yeah. Yeah. So let's do the jet fuel can't melt steel beams. Cool. When the planes hit the Twin Towers, the jet fuel in the planes initiated fires in both buildings. The official story that the government tells us is that Ugh. those fires burned hot enough that the steel beams that supported the building gave way. And that's why the entire building above where the crashes happened buckle and they start to fall down on the bottom parts of the building. And, and the towers just couldn't, you know, they can't sustain a shift in weight like that. It, it just crashed the whole thing down. What Dylan Avery tells us is that jet fuel, according to the laws of chemistry, it cannot burn hot enough to melt steel. Therefore, there's your science. It couldn't have burned hot enough for the yeah. buildings to fall that way. It must, they right. must that, have been that is demolished. True. And that this is true. Yeah. There is truth there. And if you go in and look at it, you'll be like, oh, yeah, no, this is totally accurate. Any scientist will confirm that. But here's an example of how truth gets manipulated. 
melt literally means liquefy. It turns to a liquid. Nobody in the world would believe that this building had to turn to liquid in order for it to fall down. It was it was very definitely not liquid when it was falling. You did not have yeah, it doesn't have to be liquid. It just has to be weak enough. It can reach a state where it's basically silly putty. I saw a video, I remember seeing a video that was rebuttal to that argument where you had a a blacksmith heated a, a steel piece of rebar uh to the temperature that jet fuel burns at. And essentially he says, Look, it's still solid, absolutely. And then he takes his bare hands and he twists it into until it breaks. Yeah. And the idea is like doesn't need to be liquid. Yeah, you can diminish the structural integrity Correct. by heating it up. It doesn't have to literally turn to liquid. Yeah. Yeah, thinking scientifically about something will always take a backseat to thinking narratively Yeah. about something. And if you can craft a good narrative, you're not going to be thinking actively about that kind of stuff. And you think about the kind of narratives that we love, like movies and things, there's, there's not that much to them. Like, I, I'm a movie guy. I love movies, but movies are pretty simple. But that's the thing is that in reality, the narrative of what happens in reality like flows much less eloquently yeah. than a conspiracy theory will. And let's do the Pentagon. So when you see the Pentagon after it has been struck, you can see that there is a hole in the side of the Pentagon and it's round. You know, when you look at a plane, there's big old wings on it, right? Um, doesn't seem like there were any wings that went into the Pentagon. So the theory that Dylan Avery presents is that a missile went into the Pentagon. Same shape, same size. He actually finds a model of a missile that is a similar size to the damage on the Pentagon. What his argument is that the the hole in the Pentagon wall is Literally circular. the exact same shape. It is circular. If it was hit by a plane, we should have a Looney Tunes cutout of the plane right. in the side of the of the wall. They're, they're like, well, where is the plane hole? There is a hole, but it could just be a missile went through there or something. Giant, or that giant battering ram from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Bring up the wolf's head. And you look at it and you're like, oh, that is true. There is like, what happened to the wings? Why did the wings not cause that kind of damage if the rest of the plane did? The thing is that, it, first of all, if you think about a plane, think it in your mind, in your mind's, in my eye, mind's eye. A plane is designed for one particular thing. And that smash is... smash hole. <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't make a shape like that. Planes are designed to perform the miracle of resisting the gravitational pull of the Earth and floating through the sky. Can you imagine the Wright brothers being like, this better be able to sustain impact to a brick building <laughs> reinforced with concrete? Not only, yeah, not only, like, this, is, this is no ordinary wall on the Pentagon. The, the yeah. Pentagon is one of the greatest targets in America. They know this. It is a fortress. It is designed to withstand bombs. Yeah. And planes are made of aluminum. From everything that I've read on this, the only part of a plane that would survive that impact, and when I say survive, I mean, like, you can watch videos. Not be obliterated. You can watch videos on, on YouTube. Look up planes smashing into wall or something like that. There are videos where they just, they fly unmanned planes into reinforced walls and they are literally vaporized. They are turned to dust. The thing that's going to make the hole is the landing gear. And we have photographic evidence of the landing gear being the thing that is it's at the end of this hole. It's lodged in the in the Pentagon. Right. Nobody is going to be actively thinking right. of these things. So another sort of wrinkle that loose change brings up is 
whenever we think of 9-11, we think about the Pentagon. We think about the Twin Towers. We don't think about all the other buildings that were destroyed surrounding the Twin Towers, particularly World Trade Center building number seven. The World Trade Center is made up of multiple buildings, not only the Twin Towers. Right. And one fact that a lot of people just don't know is that World Trade Center Building 7 also collapsed that day. But it was never hit by a plane. It just collapsed. That is extremely suspicious because buildings don't just collapse for no reason. Building number 7 was one of those newfangled buildings that was designed not to just fall over randomly. (laughs) So this just adds credence to the argument that there is something more going on here. I mean, that, that's basically the extent of the argument, honestly. Like, it was never hit. We have images of it falling, and it looks it looks totally fine. So what, what was really going on? The thing that is often omitted from all of this is that World Trade Center 7 fell after the towers fell. And the tower, there's one building in between the towers and Building 7. And if you look at pictures of that building, it's World Trade Center 6. It's demolished. It, it does got, not exist. It had, there was enough of the structure left that it didn't technically fall over, but the entire middle of it was missing. They ended up tearing it down because it was just unsalvageable. Because when you have trillions of tons of steel falling onto New York, there are buildings, there are other buildings in New York, and they're going to sustain damage from that debris. I read estimates that debris from the towers when they fell was like over a mile away. Wow. I mean, that debris. I mean, that's a, it was a huge dust cloud. Two of the largest skyscrapers in the world. Like, all of that matter is going to go somewhere. It's not going to go straight down in a neat little pile. Yes, it's not just going to pile up perfectly. And there are pictures. You can look. Like, there are giant parts of the building embedded in other buildings after that was, it collapsed. Yeah, that was probably the most striking image in doing the research for this episode that I saw was just a part of, you know, the... Uh, superstructure of the building has got like those kind of wavy like steel beams just seeing part of that embedded in another building so world trade center 7 from what we've heard from the fire department that was on the ground the whole back of it got torn out and you know started fires all these things the one video that we have of it when it collapsed was taken from the opposite side from far away with a bunch of buildings in the way we only see like the very top of it collapse it's just not a good image but it's enough of an image again to build a narrative in the mind of the viewer because when we see movies and images and things that are that are crafted by people the assumption is they're showing us the important information if there was more vital information it would be it would be present there yeah history doesn't work that way the problem yeah like like some dude with his camera looking at the building if he doesn't see the damage on the other side of the building it's just i mean it's not like he did that on purpose he didn't frame it that way he just caught what he caught so this is the power of stories And these are three. uh, There's so many different examples. And in fact, this guy, Dylan Avery, who made Loose Change, he actually didn't set out to make a documentary. He set out to make an X-Files episode, basically. It It was a fictional thriller, is what it was. He was a film major. Conveniently, according to his website, which does not exist anymore, uh, I'm bummed that I never saved this or anything. On his website, it told the story of how he made this movie. He's like, so this is all from his own mouth. He started, he set out to make a fictional movie, was doing research. Somehow he got in contact with a conspiracy theorist who told him, hey kid, isn't this a crazy coincidence? Everything that you're writing in your movie is actually true and I would like to fund it. Please just make the tweaks and turn this into an actual documentary instead of a thriller. Right. And Dylan Avery was like, well, I was sold. And with that, this giant cultural movement was born 
that is still alive to this day. And it's a movement that's had incredible effect on the real world, this internet video. And Dylan Avery credits 9-11 and in part his, his own work to the election of Donald Trump. He, he thinks that he himself no, influenced... No, it's, it's implicit. Really what he says is 9-11 caused the election of Donald Trump, the world that 9-11 produced. But he recognizes that he had a part to play in producing that culture himself. Basically, the way he describes it is he still holds a lot of the beliefs that he espouses in the film that like some stuff doesn't add up. But ultimately, he is distancing himself, not maybe not because he doesn't believe what he put out there. Um, but really what he tries to hammer on really he says that never mind any of the conspiracy theories uh, or how the buildings fell down. He says that something broke that day. And in that brokenness, you have this culture that is produced. Any of us who were alive that day, I mean, you know how you felt when it occurred and sort of the emotions that you go through. I remember David showed me you, I think Stefan, uh, actually, Dr. Stefan from- Dr. Georgievich from Dr. Last Dr. Episode. DJ from a couple episodes ago actually showed us the, the recording of Howard Stern, uh, the Howard Stern show that on 9-11. And it just goes through sort of the emotions that people were experiencing until they were just belligerent and they just wanted like blood, essentially. Every single emotion that people had after 9-11 was present in that, in, in that like hour long or however radio show. Like everybody just went through the whole range right. of fear, confusion, anger, you know, bomb them all type of stuff. Like, all, like let's go to war, like every everything. Right. And in sort of this concoction of very negative emotions that are drawn up by the calamity of 9-11. Dylan Avery says that he, of course, was feeling that sort of same anger about it. And essentially what he says is that everybody was looking for a way to explain what had happened. A narrative. And for him, a narrative, exactly. And for him, this documentary was part of how he tried to explain what had happened. And he recognizes that it's become an incredibly powerful narrative. Uh, so in that way, he contributed to the na the culture of con suspicion that 9-11 produced. And this culture has had massive legs that still exist today. So, oh, yeah. So, for example, Alex Jones, who he had this website, and now it's it's evolved into an entire media empire, kind of. You could probably say a media empire. Alex Jones is the guy who used to talk about UFO sightings at like one in the morning on AM radio. But after 9-11 happened, there was such a desire for this kind of conspiracy theory narrative going on. It catapulted his particular brand of media. And now there have been tons of imitators that are coming out just like him. It was his interview with Charlie Sheen right after Loose Change came out. Charlie Sheen came out saying that, oh, yeah, I'm a truther. And Alex Jones did an interview with him and everybody was like, Charlie Sheen, that's crazy. And also, who's this Alex Jones dude? And he, you know, kind of came into the world spotlight a little bit less so than after 2016 when Trump went on his like show and was like, you guys, we have a terrific um, reputation. Donald Trump that, said that about Alex Jones, oh yeah. that he had a terrific reputation. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yes, I won't let you down. I, I don't know if there's a single conspiracy theory he does. He hasn't either started or had a hand in starting. Oh, man. Okay, here's one. This is really. This wasn't him, but he, it was one of his people from Infowars. He said that he went to school with one of the kids who is a survivor of this school shooting in Florida. Mm -hmm. He says, "Look at this. He never went to school. 
in Florida. He went to our school. And he's already graduated. He's an actor. He's yeah. 23 years old. Yeah. And he's like, see, I have our yearbook here. There's a picture of the yearbook and it's the kid's picture in the yearbook. This story, because there was a picture, went viral and conservatives who were concerned about the future of the Second Amendment and stuff really latched onto this this story because it, you know, it supported what they wanted to believe that it, Confirmation it bias. devalued, yeah, what these kids were saying. And now literal teenagers from this kid's high school have had to put videos online of like, yeah, no, that yearbook he showed you, that's our yearbook from our school. See, here's the cover. We're opening it up. Here's the page that he showed you a picture of. Right. That's not his yearbook. That's just our yearbook. That's our yearbook. Yeah. Yeah. Just because he showed you a picture does not mean that it has the context he told you it did. Anyway, this dude from, he just straight up lied. invented this whole lie to discredit this kid. You know, when I first discovered Alex Jones, I was doing research on the EU and I was looking at UKIP which is a basically a British isolationist party. And there was an interview with the head of UKIP on Alex Jones' show. And I was like, who is this guy? What kind of stuff was he promoting? Do you remember? It was, I mean, it was very sort of like anarcho-capitalist stuff. I mean, that's kind of a little UKIP's thing is a very libertarian sort of philosophy. And that's what Alex Jones espouses, those libertarian values. But I mean, that just sort of fits into the conspiracy theory mindset. If there's any political theory that fits into a conspiracy theorist-like worldview... It's libertarianism because it's just like only you can trust yourself. I think the most appealing part of a conspiracy theory is that they are a comfort to you when you feel like you're losing control right? or that you are living in a world that's out of control. And this is something we talked about in our Flat Earth episode. They provide simple narratives of good and evil. It might be the Jews are evil. It could be the government is evil. Whoever it is. There's a very clear delineation of these people are good, these people are evil, and that explains everything. Mm -hmm. And more important than that is that conspiracy theories will offer a solution that asks, honestly, very little of you, really. Mm -hmm. Because if the problems of the world are complex and complicated and entrenched in broken political systems and social systems full of weird feedback loops of abuse and complacency, then we've got a long a long road ahead of us sorting all that stuff out. I mean, a conspiracy theory tells you that the real solution, if you want to do your part, go above and beyond what anybody else is doing, believing in the conspiracy theory is already like this heroic feat that you've achieved. And just telling people to like take the red pill and wake up sheeple or whatever... Like, that is the noble fight. That is the crusade. And that is such that is so much more preferable than, like, negotiating solutions to problems as a society. Like, I, I would much rather that be the way of solving my problems. And I think that, honestly, everybody, whether you're conservative, whether you're liberal, that's increasingly becoming how we believe we have to solve problems, online at least, or across social media. We'll get to that. Uh, first, first of all, let's talk about... Pizzagate. Oh, yeah. Well, Pizzagate was uh, was another conspiracy theory regarding the 2016 election. This is one of the most bizarre conspiracy theories to break out of the sewers of the internet and go mainstream. And then after we talk about this, let's get into how conspiracy theories are built and the systems that they uh, use to propagate themselves. But first, let's talk about Pizzagate. So Pizzagate is another conspiracy theory that took off in the 2016 election, propagated by Alex Jones and his ilk, that Clinton and the Democratic establishment we're all pedophiles, of course, and murdered children, love to kill children. And they did so in the basement of this pizza parlor in D.C. 
And this was picked up by a lot of, I don't know, it wasn't picked up by Sean Handy or like mainstream no, news. No, it, it was picked up by guys like Breitbart did. Breitbart did. Some yeah. of the more conspiracy theory minded outlets. Right. And to just kind of hammer home the thesis of this ep- of this show, which is that the internet has effects in the real world, a guy went into this pizza parlor and shot it up because he was like, you're not going to, you know, uh, molest any more children here. And the guy was like, what is going on? And this guy started shooting the place up. The guy was arrested, of course. Yeah, I mean, if you believe that there was a secret cabal of like child slavery and stuff going on in this establishment like there's something noble about going in there i guess and like trying to fight i mean it's like an action hero sort of thing exa- I mean, yeah I mean, it's basically taken right yeah like yeah. the guy wanted to be the hero of this story and go in and do this stuff unfortunately for the people who own this pizza pl- like it was not true <laughs> they're just some innocent people who somehow got roped into this conspiracy right. theory and now they're the victims of like actual real life violence. And it was pretty it was pretty complex. It was like they went through the menu of this pizza parlor and said, "Oh, this stands for you want like this kind of sex slave. You want this kind of sex. And it was like, "Man, I feel like Alex Jones and his ilk love doing that kind of thing where it's like, "This is code for this and this is code for this, you know." I mean, once you start seeing codes and things, it's I think they even went into like the logo of the pizza parlor like, "Oh, this is this is all code imagery, Illuminati stuff or Bilderberg." <laughs> right, right. Okay, I'm really glad you bring that up because another wrinkle in the Pizzagate conspiracy theory is that these Democratic politicians were not only operating a depraved sex dungeon, whatever, all this stuff out of the basement of a pizza parlor, but also that this was all being done in the name of a satanic cult that they all belong to. Right. And the reason why it is so important to me that this is mentioned is because this conspiracy theory of children being kidnapped and given to satanic politicians, like this is not new stuff. This is old news, but it's something that conspiracy theorists who are deep into this stuff know will never fly with the public. We mentioned that Dylan Avery, the creator of this documentary, Loose Change, originally was going to create a narrative, uh, a narrative movie about a conspiracy. He was approached by a conspiracy theorist who convinced him that it was true and to turn it into a straight documentary. That conspiracy theorist is a guy named Philip Jahan. At the end of Loose Change, he's credited as a producer. He directed Dylan Avery in the creation of Loose Change, and he's a guy who believes that the evils of the world are all being orchestrated by a literal satanic cult. Philip Jahan knows that in spite of the fact that he believes that the ultimate message he needs to get out there is that a demonic cult is running the world, Loose Change is not about that. Loose Change is baby's first introduction to these conspiracy theories. It's kind of like with Scientology, how for decades nobody knew about all of the stuff about the the alien ghosts that are inside of you and Xenu and all of this stuff. Like, you had to work your way through the ranks to to get the privilege of learning that that's that's the real point of Scientology. And even if we look at other organizations that we've been talking about on this show, you'll see similar patterns developing. Same as the Flat Earthers, same as ISIS, same as the Nazis. There's an expectation that the best way to reach people is not to radicalize them, but to allow themselves to self-radicalize. And all you have to do is foster an environment 
where people are going to come to the conclusions that you want them to come to, but they'll do it independently, like Inception style. Like, uh, people are going to accept an idea much more willingly if they think that they came up with it themselves. If, they, if you realize that somebody's trying to introduce it to you, you're going to be more skeptical of it. So they provide to you a very simple story that you can accept. For the Flat Earther, it is like, maybe let's start questioning and whether people are going to be are lying to you about the images they show you because that's easy to prove. Like, yes, governments lie about that stuff. For the Nazi, it will be, they'll, they'll try to start people off with like race realism, you know, looking for leftist talking points that don't really work or they'll try to bend things out of shape to be like, okay, doesn't it look like the white people are being oppressed here? And they'll they'll take that as their starting point. Or for ISIS, you know, they'll take very real grievances with Western international policy and war, and they'll start to develop that into literal combatants, soldiers. And once you start down these roads, you are going, you're just going to be encountering a feedback loop where you are going to start looking for codes, like you were saying, just like we were talking about with the Guerrilla Channel. If you're the kind of person who believes that Donald Trump is a buffoon who will do literally anything if it's unflattering enough, the Guerrilla Channel is something that's going to get past your filter of skepticism and you're going to say, I absolutely believe that that's true. That fits into my worldview. That fits in the narrative, I believe. And that's why the Guerrilla Channel could become, in an hour, become a nationally trending thing that reporters are passing along and saying, can you believe this? Look at this. This is crazy. This stuff depends on a confirmation bias. And this stuff will all be done in the name of skepticism, in the name of looking for evidence, trying to see past the lies and propaganda while actually giving into them. And this ties into exactly what you're talking about at the very beginning of the episode, Evan, is that the ultimate goal of a conspiracy theory community is fostering the illusion of skepticism. You may have started out on those roads believing those things based on good evidence. You have already come to the conclusion that this is something that is true and therefore I will accept anything that reinforces that. And that is not true skepticism. That is what I think you called a radicalization of a skeptical mindset, I think is how you described it, which I think is a great way of putting it. And this is something that anybody can be susceptible to. This is just basic confirmation bias. And conspiracy theorists, they feed, they thrive off of this stuff. And I guess in a way, this is kind of getting to the heart of what we're talking about in this episode is just the fact that the proliferation of conspiracy theories alone is not the real problem. It is the proliferation of a mindset that is inherently regressive, and that can infect anyone. And it has. I, I live on the internet. I can see it is infecting everybody everywhere. Anyway, that's my soapbox moment. I got a lot more impassioned about that than I expected. But uh, now that I've brought that kind of stuff up, let's talk about three different methods that conspiracy theorists will use to try to get inside of your head. So when these guys craft these arguments, there's a few things to watch out for. One thing that I see all the time is an appeal to ignorance. And what I mean by that is they'll craft arguments in a way where they'll say, like with World Trade Center 7, did you know that another building fell down that day? Why didn't you know about this? But, and, and they'll jump to the conclusion, you didn't know about it because they didn't want you to know. And it's always framed in like, why Why aren't people telling us this? Why is no one providing me all of the information in the entire world? Yeah, as if like there was a memo or something and the government was like, Mm-mm, no, no, no. 
<laughs> Here's the memo that everybody in the United States is about to get. The memo that everybody gets. And like, no, we're not giving people this one. And this happens with tons of stuff. But just going off of that, the reason why it happens is the same reason why there's no video of Tower 7 falling. We, we can see the top of it start to fall. But, that, but here's the thing. We don't have anybody focusing on Building 7 being like, oh, this is going to be important. It's because we're looking at what is most visual, what's most memorable. And the reason why nobody remembers any of these other buildings being destroyed is because you're focusing on the Pentagon. You're focusing on World Trade Center's Towers 1 and 2. That's why you don't know about it. It's not because somebody is trying to keep it secret from you. It's just that's not what you focused on. Interesting fact. There is one video that exists as far as I know, and I no one has disproven me on this. Boy, has David researched it thoroughly. <laughs> it's kind of sad. There, there is one. There's like one and a half videos of the first plane hitting the first tower. Right. No one was expecting it to happen. And the video evidence that we have that it ever happened at all is some guy just happened to have his camera on and saw the plane fly by, and he goes up to film it, and the tower's like way in the distance. You can't even see that it's a plane or what it is, but you catch like right as it hits, and there's the explosion. In all of New York City, like one of those populated cities in the known universe, <laughs> we had one single camera that caught that moment, one of the, these most important moments. Video evidence and all this stuff is so, it's such a fickle thing. Yeah. For the record, in case anybody... For the record, Globulon 7 is a more densely populated <laughs> planet in the universe, but I digress. No, what I was going to say is technically we have like a weather... Um, oh, yeah, like an AccuWeather sort of like video. Yeah, there is that. There is one of the entire New York skyline, and technically you can see a tiny little dot crash into the into the tower, and then a little smoke comes out, but it is so far away and is so low resolution, it you can't tell anything based on that. Yeah. The point I'm making with this is that there are people who are always going to jump at the opportunity to fill in the holes in your knowledge with their propaganda or their talking points right. or something. And if they get there first, then in your mind, just the way that human psychology works, they have primacy. Right. You're, you're getting it totally fresh. You have, there's, nothing, there's nothing established to question it. Another major belief that these people try to exploit is the idea that all truth is equally discoverable by anyone. Right. And what I mean by that is if the terrorist attack on 9-11 happened the way that the government says it does, if a man really landed on the moon, if these school shootings actually went down the way that these kids say, if any detail is true, any single person in the entire world should be able to prove that it is true. And when you can't prove it, that is evidence that it is not true. The massive problem with that is just... You're disregarding specialized knowledge. Yeah, I don't have any... I don't have the knowledge to prove or disprove structural engineering. I love the idea that, like, it's without any sort of, like, specialized knowledge about things that you could just prove anything, which is, like... Honestly, you know what this is, is conspiracy theories are basically just, you know, tsunamis or Zeus sneezing. That's not actually historically <laughs> No, but yeah. I'm giving you an example of like, you know, like theories about like why the world works the way it does. Basically just a rehashing of that is just people who don't have specialized knowledge trying to explain things that they don't understand. Yeah. And this is where that narrative stuff comes in because narratives can't, are crafted to be understood by anyone. I keep harping on this, but like, this is so important. Yeah. These things shape the way that we view the world and they have been shaping the way we view the world. In particular, the way that the internet and social media work, it is so much easier to share a simple narrative than it is to have a conversation. Narratives have such a valence that, yeah, they can 
predominate, even if the evidence behind it isn't very good. And the only example I can give of this in my own experience is, of course, history stuff. The best-selling history books are popular histories that are written to be read and consumed like fiction. When you structure them as a story, it ends up being more convincing. That's how we're wired to, to perceive our surroundings and stuff. We are constantly looking for patterns and things in the most immediate of terms. Also, for the record, this is like a major stumbling block when it comes to talking about even things like racism. Like the idea that somebody of a different race than you could have a different life experience that you just can't comprehend or that it would take them to a different, you know, way of perceiving the world or something. Like you get lots of people who are like, no, if I was in that situation, it would be like this. Therefore, your response to your situation is it's a flaw of character for you or something like that, you know? Yeah. Like you see this when, you know, like uh, the riots in Ferguson and stuff like that. This idea that the emotional responses to a situation are illegitimate because I, who am not in that situation, cannot logically put myself there. You can't, you can't fathom the thought processes that lead to this event. Right. And this is a good way of just delegitimizing your opponents in general. It's a really easy way to blow people off. Yeah. So the third method that we want to talk about for how conspiracy theorists operate is they will form their own alternative news sources with really the objective of isolating you from competing potentially dangerous ideas and dangerous to them. And this is something that goes back to, that we saw in the very earliest days of loose change. And really loose change was what catapulted a lot of conspiracy theorists and like that into the public spotlight. I mean, like I said, with Alex Jones. Uh, it wasn't until right after Loose Change became big that he was catapulted into the spotlight. That's exactly the same with a lot of other uh, conspiracy theorists and alternate news sources. Yeah, so the legacy, definitely stuff like Breitbart. Again, I, we have to get political with this stuff, but I, I would say that Fox News has definitely become this. You have guys like Sean Hannity who unabashedly will prop up conspiracy theories that will even become disproven. Like, uh, Yeah, the guy they thought they believe got murdered. Seth Rich. Yeah, Seth Rich worked for... Um... He worked for the Democratic National Convention. Okay. And he was murdered. Right. In what appeared to be, I, th I think it was, it was a robbery. robbery. Yeah. It was supposed to be a uh, robbery. Yeah. yeah. Basically, Sean Hannity and a lot of guys at Fox started promoting this story that Seth Rich was murdered by Hillary Clinton, probably not Hillary Clinton directly, probably just somebody on her behalf, to cover up something with the emails and as time went on, there was, it just became this huge story that Seth Rich's family came out and were like, this is absurd. Please stop politicizing like our family member's death. The rest of Fox News was like, okay, we got to stop covering this story. This is insane. Like people think we're crazy. But like Sean Hannity would like not let down for the longest time because he had enough, you know, these fringe people, conspiracy theorists who it just fit their narrative. The point I was trying to make though is that this conspiracy theory stuff has gone mainstream. The reason that I even talk about this conspiracy theory stuff on this show at all is because this stuff is not niche anymore. And unfortunately, looking at all of these more traditional conspiracy theories is the best indication we have for what the future is going to look like. <laughs> so the ultimate culmination of all of these things is with Donald Trump's administration. Like all this stuff about the deep state, the FBI is like secretly working for Obama to dismantle his government, all this stuff. It is mainstreaming an expectation that the people that we like, what they say is the total authority and we cannot trust anybody else. And that is the makings. Like this is why people, 
when they talk about Trump, they're afraid of a fascist mindset being popularized by him. Because the only way to support him in the things he says, the man just vomits opinions without fact-checking them, and people have to rush to support them, and this is just creating a precedent where it is his word against literally all the other institutions that we have. One of the tenets of fascism, if, if you're looking at a fascism and trying to determine whether or not it's just authoritarianism or if it's actually fascism, is a virulent cult of personality around the leader of that group. Your leader is infallible. And in fact, truth bends to the will of that leader, and therefore truth can be manipulated by them. And you realize it's being manipulated, but you don't care. Constant vigilance. Everybody must do it. I don't Actually, care. Fact check us in this video. You know, you have to have a healthy skepticism. It has to be legitimate skepticism, not just, you, you should not just define yourself in opposition to something. Good skepticism can conquer conspiracy theory sort of faux skepticism. Even if it's something as hilarious as the Gorilla Channel. You gotta, you gotta check that. Constant vigilance. <laughs> and especially Gorilla Channel. Honestly, when I saw that, I was like, huh. I was not <laughs> expecting anything this crazy in this book. Let me just click on this thing. And I saw that it was from this comedy account, and I was like, oh no, this is absolutely a joke. Yeah. There was a little bit of, you know, there was enough skepticism there to investigate further just to say, like, okay, who posted this? But... <laughs> So uh, sometimes it's that easy. But some, I was going to say, but sometimes it isn't. And you so, just kind of yeah. stick it out. So beware of fascism is the moral of the story. <laughs> Ironically, the fascist future that 9-11 truthers were afraid of. You thought George Bush was a Nazi? Bam. You're the Nazi. You're the Nazi. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>
So he so he felt like he was like, hey, I'm the indie band that the mainstream guys are, you know, the mainstream hacks are taking my my thunder. Yeah, uh, and Glenn Beck has walked some of that stuff back in recent years, so I wouldn't be surprised if he saw him as a hack. Uh, well, he was very he was very anti-Trump. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, for all of that reason, I'm going to go with the Glenn Beck one. Glenn Beck is a plant. He was implanted by the FBI in order to build up a bunch of followers and then, as a public figure, like, reveal, like, like sorry. all this stuff is wrong. I'm sorry, David. What is it? You're wrong. Is it, it the was Soros one? General McMaster's oh, is okay. a Soros operative. Yeah, that was my second. The truth is, Glenn Beck is a CIA <laughs> no that's not the truth <laughs> no but Alex Jones believes Glenn Beck is a CIA operative and Alex Jones believes Trump is being drugged to mentally incapacitate him by the deep state oh okay so these were pretty close these are close these are okay. all things I'm basing off of actual conspiracy theories it has I'm so just all of these off. are are actually like basically some, pretty close to things he believes. they're pretty close anyway okay David are you ready I'm ready okay which of these does Alex Jones believe Scalia was murdered? Ding. Judge Antonin Scalia. Judge Antonin Scalia was murdered. Ding. Obama founded Al-Qaeda. <laughs> Water bottles are making children gay. Which of these does he actually believe? Okay, well, Al-Qaeda existed before Barack Obama was, was born. In, was in government. <laughs> he might have founded it very early. So even that seems like a stretch for Alex Jones. Um, sorry, water bottles are making kids gay, and the other one was a Scalia was murdered? Yeah. I am going to guess that, honestly, as, like, somebody being murdered is a very... General. A, ver- a very basic type of conspiracy theory, and I'm, I'm thinking that's a little bit too basic. Oh. Water bottles. Think I couldn't come up with something a little more clever? Water bottles have a lot of, you know, a lot of chemicals in them, in the plastics, all these things that could seep into what you're drinking. And for that reason, who knows what those chemicals do? They could could affect your hormones, all that stuff. I think that it would make sense. Alex Jones would argue that water bottles are making our children gay. David, you're close to thinking like Alex Jones, (laughs) but you're not right. No. I'm sorry. He believes Scalia was murdered. Yeah. These are the true conspiracy theories that he believes. Obama is the head of Al-Qaeda now. Okay, worldwide. right. Yeah, that makes sense. That juice boxes are making kids gay. What? Oh. He believes that. And, and it was an you know, amalgamation of two conspiracy theories that chemicals in water make children gay. Okay, yeah. So it's okay. juice boxes and chemicals in water. I just kind of mix them together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have. Those are, those are good, though. You got me. Yeah, and that's that's everything I got for you, David. Those are, um, but here are some other uh, conspiracy theories he believes. Just so that I want our listeners to walk away knowing how despicable an individual Alex Jones is. Um, he believes in PizzaGate. Of course, he propagated it. He believes that the FBI was behind the Boston bombing in 2013. Okay. He believes, of course, that the Pulse, uh, the nightclub. nightclub shooting, the Orlando shooting recently. The Sandy Hook shooting, they were all false flags, and they're all crisis actors. Nobody was murdered. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, number one, he believes 9-11 was an inside job. So there you go. So for those of you who are like, oh, maybe I'll show this okay. No, he isn't. He please, really is bad. Please, our viewers, please. Please don't watch Alex Jones. Unless it is you're watching, like, a meme compilation <laughs> and are intent on laughing at Alex Jones. Then maybe. 
But other than that, there's there's no excuse. If we could, if we could achieve one thing with this podcast, it will be. Please don't watch Alex Jones. Please don't listen to Alex Jones. Here's the thing: I don't think I don't think our listenership or the people would be inclined to watch Alex Jones. At least Please, I'm hoping. Don't not. don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Hey guys, thanks for listening. It's David. The episode is over, but of course we've got some credits and some final thoughts. That's right, because this episode, we actually recorded this a few months ago, and uh, there were so many other pressing topics that kept coming up. We pushed this further and further back. So in the time since we've recorded this, actually, uh, YouTube and Facebook have taken measures to stop giving Alex Jones and Infowars a platform on their sites. We'll see. This kind of stuff seems like it's kind of touch and go. We'll see how much of an impact this has. But it's interesting that we're starting to see social media platforms kind of taking some kind of ownership for this stuff. At the same time, though, Facebook shares are like plummeting. Facebook lost 160 million, I think. Sorry, don't quote me on that. Um, Just recently. So maybe they're willing to kind of listen to people more because they're backed into a corner. They're kind of scared. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, in other news, though, a lot of the conspiracy theories that have been put forth by the White House lately are being addressed directly by things like the special counsel. So I, I don't know, it's interesting. This is interesting. I'm sure that we'll talk more about this as it develops. But on to credits. As always, we're going to thank Something Unreal for his Windows XP remix that we hear at the top of every episode. And this month, we are going to be saying a special thank you to Lucio Jad. I think it's pronounced every single time. I, I can't pronounce the names of these artists. For their song, Storm Time, which is what we've been listening to throughout the episode. And also right now, it is a paranoid sound. It's anxious. It just has all of this anxiety in it that I feel like really captures this entire topic. 